the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Will Ramirez is here. It's Steve Cofield. Ari is in our Finley Toyota Studios. Big Five time. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. Knights play tonight over at the Fortress. Willie's going to be at the game. The uh, hated Kraken, I hate them, um, are plus 105 dogs. They come in with a 4-7-1 record. Jack Eichel with the Knights, but not really with the Knights yet. Uh, what do we know officially now about the surgery is going to go down with the artificial disc replacement in his neck. That's going to happen on Friday. It's going to happen on Friday. Um, I would expect – I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he is on that uh, that castle, that fortress up there with uh, oh. Shunok and Katie Marie uh, okay. cranking that siren tonight. Would you let him crank? Would you let him crank it with the, with the neck? Sure. Why not? A little risky. Eh, Some of these guys get crazy on there. Katie Marie braces that thing. She holds it. She's stronger than Mark Shunok. Let Shunok do it. Yeah. On behalf of Eichel. I don't want to see anything happen to Eichel. Shunok's too fired up. He's too, he's too, and he might just fall right over the fortress. <laughs> so I, that was awesome. What an expression. <laughs> I wish people could see Willie. He was like, <laughs> uh, no, but I think he'll be there. Obviously, he wants to see the crowd. Yeah, he's for his first right. time in there. You're right. You got to do it. Yeah. And, and so even if he's not, even if he doesn't crank it, maybe he'll hold it and Katie Marie will spin it. But, uh, and I wouldn't surprise me if he's got a spot up at the press box. We may see him up there. You know, they, they sit the opposite end where we're at and but you you know the to get to the restroom or to get to the broadcast booth they may bring him into the broadcast booth with uh dan duvin and gary dan duvin and gary lawless where you can listen to it tonight uh, since it's not going to be on tv by the way um so yeah he he's ready for surgery friday he it sounded great he sounded relieved that the trade is behind him that the process is going to move forward he said the only frustration that he's really held is that he he knows that when he first brought this to light that this is what he wanted that he could be playing right now so instead he'll be ready in about three months number four boy early season nba game you don't expect any stories to really be coming out of a heat nuggets game but my god we got brother on brother crime uh here's the call of a uh, dangerous moment in the game morris goes under the screen and that leaves barton wide open and now shoving, Jokic and Morris pushing and shoving. Jamal Murray getting involved. Didn't see what started it. Now Morris says to make sure he controls himself to stay in the game. He was furious. Yeah, after that, uh, Jokic threw Morris to the floor, uh, and then it started. Then you got Jimmy Butler going friggin' crazy. Uh, and now what you got here is you got the Morai twins who are a bit psychotic. Uh, in fact, there's a story in the past where someone was screwing with their mom and they beat the living snot out of the guy and actually got brought up on assault charges. But here's the deal. So Butler was going crazy. The Morai twins start throwing out threats at Jokic. I don't think people realize, well, if you follow the NBA, uh, Nikola Jokic has two brothers who are older than him and much crazier. Uh, these are also Serbians who lived through the Yugoslavian Civil War. So who knows what they've been through. And when you see these guys at games, um, one of... Nikola Jokic's brothers is like 6'9", and he looks like he weighs 275 pounds. The other one is 6'6", and when these guys are at games and stuff starts happening to their younger brother, they go ballistic. They just started a website, and they're like, let's go. Let's go. Because if you notice, last night, 
the Heat went over to the Nuggets locker room and they wanted a piece of Jokic. <laughs> like, the, uh, the end, this is one of those, like, I love angst. I love heat. I love the potential of fights. This could get really ugly. The NBA has got to crack down on this pretty quickly. It could be a real black eye for the league. Well, yeah, wait, waited. Uh, what was it? Waited till, wait till bro turned his back, shaking my head. SMH noted was the, was the threatening tweet from Marcus Morris. And someone else tweeted, I know Marcus Morris isn't talking LMAO. Dude literally stepped on Luca's injured ankle in the bubble, and it was 1,000% dip, uh, deliberate. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're, here we are. We're just a couple weeks in, and we're already in the middle, in the midst of a brouhaha and, and, and getting, getting things heated up, and it's nice little east-west rivalry. Number three. Well, speaking of physicality, mm. I don't know what the official was doing last night. When he throws a taunting flag on Cassius Marsh, actually before he did it, the Bears defender who had the temerity, the audacity to look at the opposing bench, at the Steelers bench, they changed the game. And then it appeared to me that Carrente went out of his way to actually make physical contact and send a message to this defender for the Bears. It's outrageous. Uh, Dean Blandino, who used to be the head of the officials, tries to explain what the hell was going on and sort of this process, like well, what happened last night with Taunting and this official Carrente? They're reviewing. I know if I were there, I, I would have had a conversation with Tony last night. I wouldn't have waited till today. I would want to get his perspective on what happened. Certainly that call on Marsh. You know, what did you see? Why did you call Taunting? And then and then ask, hey, what happened there? It looked like you bumped him. Did you lose your balance? I mean, it's hard for me to sit here and say that I would imagine any world where Tony Carrente would do that intentionally, but you watch the video and you go, man, and what the heck happened? So, you know, they're looking at all of it. They're reviewing the game like they normally do. And, and I would imagine they've had conversations with Tony and the rest of the crew just to kind of figure out what, you know, their perspective. Now, this is the part that's really going to piss off fans. Because if you, when you're watching, um, the player has his back turned to the official. He's walking towards the bench. You, you don't know if he's really saying anything. And Carrente, this happens so often where officials are policing the game and you're not in position to even see what happened. Even listening to Tony in the pool report, he said he was posturing. Well, you know, if he didn't say anything and he's just kind of staring at the bench, I mean, that's a that's a Pandora's box. Now I can I can I get the in your face stuff. I get the standing over. Look at me. We're going to you know, we're going to that's going to lead to other things. Um, altercations later in the game. You want to nip that in the bud, but this, again, I wasn't there. I don't know what was said or what Tony was seeing from his perspective. It just feels like uh, another level, and I'm not sure that is what the committee intended. It's been proven. The committee didn't intend this, and these these officials in mass cannot handle this subjective call. They failed on so many fronts, and I'm telling you, I'm going to predict it right now, that this is going to affect a playoff game. It is going to be a disaster and overshadow a week of the playoffs because if they continue to allow these guys to be judge and jury and executioner on the field, it is going to be a horrendous mistake moving forward. Number two. This is a kooky line. Raiders at home against a reeling Chiefs team, and I know the Raiders just lost to the Giants. Getting two and a half, unless you believe that the Raiders really were affected, Post rugs, post Arnett. Well, it was kind of in the midst of Arnett. What do you think of this line? I don't understand it. I I, I don't know if it's a trap. Um, you know the Raiders' defense. Uh, you know, 
you look at the numbers and you look at the progression of play and and they outside of the play calling, the Raiders outplayed the Giants. The Raiders, uh, Der- uh, Derek Carr, put up decent numbers. He had two critical picks, which he put on himself. He had some overthrows, but the offensive numbers were there. The defense frustrated the Giants. This defense has improved. They still have Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, who picked up a couple more sacks, um, Casey Hayward, top top DB. You now have Deshaun Jackson in the mix. He's going to be here for a full week of, of practicing, learning the system. Um, it's at home. Sunday night, Kansas City has continued to struggle. They almost blew it against Jordan Love, and yet the line is two. I, again, I, I'm not sure if it's one of those games where it looks good, too good to be true, and the odds makers are sucking you in here. But I mean, on first glance, it certainly looks like a money line play to me. Number one. Coming up, we got to get to one of the funniest headlines I've seen in a long time. Uh, from a guy at SI, the NFL should step in to help stabilize the Raiders. That NFL needs to come here and stabilize the Raiders. My God, do we have to give a laundry list of things that are blanked up with different organizations around the league and all the places and areas of this league that the NFL can't police now? They're going to come in and take over and be the voice of reason? Get out of here. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. You know, I was mad going to break, reading that headline about, uh, talk about prisoner of the moment. Uh, someone at SI writing, the NFL should step in to uh, help stabilize the Raiders. Worry about yourself. Worry about the football team. Worry about all the other embarrassing situations around the National Football League. Um, listen, the Raiders had a horrendous last three weeks, but it all got stacked together, so you got some people out there flipping out. And to my point about the NFL not being able to manage everything else that goes on in this league yeah, you're going to take over the Raiders or help stabilize management. How about this one? The latest in from Adam Schefter. Packers fined $300,000 for COVID violations of the NFL and NFLPA protocols, while Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard each fined $14,000. John Gruden was fined $150,000 last year. The Raiders combined were fined $1.2 million. Aaron Rodgers just violated the rules for 10 weeks and then when called on it said he's a victim and you know what those rules i violated basically i would do it again they suck and they're stupid three hundred thousand dollars mark davis again can go nfl ah right i can't describe that move that that, the hand on the chin under the chin up yours Mm. you know soprano uh is is this the let me ask you a question. Unbelievable. The NFL Ridiculous. is supposed to come straighten out the Raiders team that this drama actually started pre-Arnett, pre-Ruggs with Gruden over emails in an investigation of the Washington football team where emails were leaked and the NFL is not, we're not going to see the rest. Oh, oh 
okay, that NFL. That's I, I just was want to make sure that we were on the same page. That NFL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're gonna they're gonna come in and clean things up. I mean, this what what message does with what this, a dirty rag, right? What message does a three hundred thousand dollar fine, ten weeks of violations, two and a half months, and then Rodgers came out and he's like, eh, I would do it again. Basically, your rules suck. I mean, you, you just you basically just punch your boss in the face and go, go ahead, what are you going to do to me? But, you know, that's what the league does with guys like Aaron Rodgers. That's what the league does with guys, you know, owners like Jerry Jones and, and Bobby right. Kraft and Dan Snyder. But when it comes to the Raiders and Mark Davis, and folks, listen, if you listen to the show, I'm not a Raiders fan. No. I'm not. But right is right. Tr- truth is truth here. Yeah. This is ridiculous. And that, that what a weak penalty. And people all over social media are just freaking – laughing at it all right we got to turn the page i because i, I th- this will just turn into me screaming and yelling for the freaking well you got rogers fun. feeling like a victim steve i mean yeah. the guy's upset yeah he's a victim um yeah i'll sit here screaming and yelling about this nonsense for 40 minutes uh coming up we're going to talk to sam paniotovich uh towards the bottom of the hour get you updated on all the betting lines and some big changes in the world of sports gambling but up next we're going to talk to the ap writer from seattle get you ready with the crack inside of this game with seattle in town to take on your vegas golden knights The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. Draw, one by the wing, shot toward the empty net. They score! Into the empty net for Tyler Bertuzzi with 10 seconds to go. 5-2 Red Wings. You're listening to Cofield & Company. On ESPN Las Vegas. That was not so hot from the Knights against the Red Wings. Let's get into the Kraken and the Knights here in just a second. A couple of quick updates again. Um, after a short investigation, all this Aaron Rodgers stuff has resulted in the Packers being fined $300,000. Aaron Rodgers said the rules suck. I don't agree with him. Broke the rules protocol for 10, 11 weeks. He was fined $15,000. Wow. Wow. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Willie Ramirez is here. He's going to be at the uh, Kraken Golden Knights game tonight. Let's bring in one of our experts from the AP to talk a little hockey, Willie. Yeah. Colleague from up north, Tim Booth, checking in from Seattle. Didn't make it down. I was hoping he was being in town, but he's not here. Tim, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Willie? Oh, doing good. Getting ready to see the uh, Seattle Kraken for the second time this season. Uh, of course, they opened their... Their franchise on that five-game road trip started here in Vegas. Fourth, made it interesting at the end there. Um, they've uh, they they picked up some wins here, and they're, they've split their last six games. What what? How have you seen them handle this first uh, month or almost month in terms of just getting into the NHL, getting into the groove? I mean, these are guys that have been in the league, obviously, but in terms of building that chemistry. And there's always going to be that comparison to Vegas. What what have you seen with this team? Yeah, the the first um, the first road trip was really interesting because they looked at times like a group that had never played together. Um, and at time, and at other for other stretches, they looked like guys who'd been had you know had a season or two um, around one another. It was very it was very up and down that first road trip, and they got home from that. Um, they were one three and one on that opening trip, and they got home and and. Really, the thing that stood out to them was the lack of practice time they had during that during that five game trip, and how much they needed that. Still, you know, they, they obviously the game situations helped, 
but there were areas where they still needed time on the ice together in a, in a non-competitive format so they could figure out line, you know, line matchups and chemistry and, and how guys played, um, played with one another and just how to, how to go forward successfully, really. Um, and that was kind of the, the striking thing that came out of that, that first trip. They got home and they, you saw changes, you know, right away. They seemed to have some more cohesion. They seemed to give up less dangerous chances. Um, and really, they, they just ran into some bad luck in terms of not having a better first homestand. Um, you know, the, the home opener against Vancouver, Thatcher Demko kind of stood on his head and, and, and won Vancouver that game. And then, um, uh, you know, later in the homestand, they ran into a hot goalkeeper for the Rangers, um, a game that Seattle kind of dominated but ended up, ended up losing. So it's been, you know, it's been very much a mixed bag. It's not the, you know, jump right out of the gates and, and look like they're, they're playoff contender type of situation that we saw with Vegas when they came in. But um, th- there's, definitely, there's definitely signs that, that they have the makeup to be a, a very competitive team if they start to get some breaks to go their way. We've seen the capacity there, 17,151 at every single home game. And I think the automatic comparison is going to be, you know, to Vegas, the last expansion team. And, and with that comes so many different things um, in terms of the success and what Vegas has. I think that there was, I think there was, it's a little bit different, the circumstances, especially with the October one shooting. And, and there was a lot of emotion and adrenaline adrenaline that uh, sort of drove the, the fans and, and, and the franchise. And of course, Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, but with Seattle, on top of just with the product that's being put on the ice, they have the entertainment uh, crew that that Vegas had that first year, as far as the pregame and um, the entertainment that, that that the Seattle fans have to enjoy. What's the reception been like, and what is the what are the expectations that you've noticed from the fans in terms of when when you're comparing the last franchise that entered the NHL, that being Vegas? Are those expectations, and is it is it a frenzied uh, atmosphere up there? It's, it's funny that you mentioned the sort of the all the pieces that go around the game itself, the production value and everything, and how how Seattle brought in the guys who started it all in in Vegas up, brought them up here. Um, they never had a chance to to run their systems or try anything in the arena before the home opener. So there was there was actually this sense of disappointment at the home opener against Vancouver because. It wasn't more grand. It wasn't more like what what everyone saw uh, the the Knights pull off um, in Vegas, and it was simply because they finished the arena about seven days before the opener, and then they had two concerts in the building, and they never had time. They never gave time for the Kraken production crew to come in and see what was going to work and what wasn't um, in terms of you know the pregame hype stuff, the in between periods, the you know during during timeouts on the ice things like that. So um, it, that's been an evolution throughout this, this first month is seeing more and more of the production value come into play. The, in terms of what the fan reception and stuff has been, everybody is, is hyped about, about the Kraken or, Kraken's arrival up here. Um, every game has been sold out. There's been, you know, here and there a few open seats during games, but for the most part, when they say there's 17,100 in there, there's pretty close to 17,100 in there. Um, one of the cool aspects I think that we've seen develop a little bit through these first few games, and I think it's going to grow, especially if the team starts to have more success, is on the north side of Climate Pledge Arena, 
they put back in the original windows that were sort of the outer wall of the old Seattle Center Coliseum and, and Key Arena. But now, instead of serving as a, a wall to a corridor, it's now a wall to the to the arena itself. So you can stand outside of the arena and look through those windows. And if you prop yourself up just right on a on a small concrete curb, you can actually see in and see most of the ice. And for sure, you can see the scoreboards um, without having to to prop yourself up. Um, and we've seen during games every now and then there will be groups of people that will just kind of show up and start and start looking in and trying to see what's what's going on. So that's kind of a, it's a little bit like Wrigley Field with the, with the, um, with the, the, the seats on top of the buildings outside. Not, not quite the same comparison, but a little bit of that. I, you know, I'm on the outside, but I want to be on the inside and see what's right. going on and, and be a part of a part of the situation. So um, there's definitely a, a buzz and an excitement about what the team has brought so far. Um, and now I think it's, it's, it's transitioning a little bit that that buzz and excitement is going to be there throughout this first year, but now it's, hey, can we start to see some results on the ice and and be assured that this is actually going to be a competitive team? Well, I'll tell you something. Last night, um, Steve and I were on location at, a, at where we uh, broadcast from every single Monday for Monday Night Football at Twin Peaks, and we do some giveaways, and I'm walking around with some of the tickets that we give away and, and the items, and, and I run into it. We were doing a ticket giveaway for tonight's game, and this uh, couple, you know, el- elderly couple, they were like, no, we're down from Washington. We actually came down here for the Kraken Golden Knights game. We're going tomorrow night. I, they they were thinking that I was going to ask them to get in the raffle, and I was actually going to see if they wanted to go to a UNLV basketball game. And they said that they came down here and planned the trip because they bought tickets here because they were more affordable to come to Vegas than to pay for two back home, which I found to be hilarious because earlier this season, on press row, we started noticing mysteriously there was a lot more empty seats in T-Mobile Arena than we had seen in years past. Um, one of the local reporters did a story on it, why that might have been. And secondary market prices have been down, closer to face value, if not less. There were a couple of games where some of the guys were reporting, you could see 20 minutes before puck drop, $25, $50 seats, which four years ago was unheard of for the Golden Knights. I mean, we're talking five, six times face value. Now these people are telling me that's a few hundred per ticket to go to Seattle. Our ticket prices are, is that, has that become part of the conversation up there? It has a little bit. Um, they're, they've come down from where they were earlier in the fall. I mean, earlier in the fall, you couldn't get in the door for opening night for under $700. And by the time we got to the opener, it was about 300 bucks. You probably could have gotten in the door for that, for that first game in, in franchise history. Um, so the market has come down somewhat, but it's it's absolutely the hottest ticket in town. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, for the Seahawks were home on um, on Halloween against Jacksonville, and granted, it's Jacksonville, and Russell Wilson wasn't playing, and and the Seahawks were on a three game losing streak. But you could have gotten in the door for the Seahawks game that day for thirty bucks, which is absolutely unheard of. Across town that night, the Kraken were playing the New York Rangers. And you couldn't get in the door for under a hundred. So there's there there is absolutely a a a, um, a supply and demand sort of sort of situation going on here. There's people who want to go to the games. They 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 vividly want to go and experience what it's like to see an NHL game in person and see this arena that all they've heard about for the past few years is how it's going to be the most beautiful arena in the world, and all they remember is what the Seattle Center Coliseum and what Key Arena were. 
back in the day, which were not the most beautiful arenas in the world. And they want to go and they want to experience this thing and see it and, and understand why it costs a billion dollars to, to put together and, and construct. Um, so there, there absolutely is that buzz. And, and you're right. Like there's, there's, you're going to see the season. You're going to see influxes of Seattle fans in San Jose, in LA, in Anaheim, in Phoenix. Absolutely. I think you saw it there on Saturday night when the Kraken played the Coyotes. Um, probably Vegas as well, maybe even Denver, of, of fans realizing that, hey, instead of paying $300 a pop for a ticket to go to the Climate Pledge, I can go see the Kraken play in, in San Jose for, you know, 60 bucks or whatever and, and make a little trip out of it. Excellent spot. We appreciate it. Let's talk to you soon, okay? Yeah, take care, guys. There he is. Tim Booth, AP writer, covering the Seattle Kraken. Coming up next, we're going to check in with our gambling insider on Tuesday, Sam Paniotovich. we got a lot of weird lines around the National Football League, including that Seattle uh, with Russell Wilson returning line against the Packers. Will A-Rodge play? The number's weird. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Coolfield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. All right, a lot to get into with Sam Paniotovich, our gambling insider on Tuesdays from Nesson from Fox Sports. But first of all, on a personal note, Sam, you won the Braves World Series ticket 14 to 1. You did it for Paulie, your dead fish. Woo! Yeah. What did you do with the money? Nothing yet. I haven't collected the ticket yet. I have to fly into Vegas. And you know what's funny? I had uh, multiple people, and luckily you're not one of them because you're you're a good guy. I've had multiple people go, hey, if you want to just send me that ticket, I'll FedEx the money back. Yeah, right. Oh, no. <laughs> like, no way. So we're going to get out there. I think uh, either I'm going to be out there in the first week of December or my buddy's going to be out there to go to the Pac-12 championship game. Nice. So we will figure it out. Um, so that money is, I, I guess it's essentially in limbo for the next month or so. I always love when you plan your Vegas trips and immediately I'm like, yep, not here that week either. So first week of Vegas or uh, first week of December, I think I'm actually in Dallas and San Fran with the running Rebels taking on SMU and San Francisco. So make it the second be back week. to the Super Bowl or are you going to be out of town that day? You have another funeral? Uh, no. Um, I hope not. <laughs> uh, you know, I got to look at the schedule. I got to see what the uh, the Rebels are doing from a basketball standpoint. All right, let's talk about how hard this stuff is to win. Um, you got a fourteen to one ticket to come in on the World Series, but you know, week to week in the NFL, it's all about line value. And you had back to back weeks where you were ahead of the number. Um, I'll say we actually got great numbers, and we still freaking lost. If I would have told you, and I did tell you, you know, I didn't tell you exactly what happened, but when I tweet these picks out, some of them have information. I don't have the time to type out a, a bio on all these picks, but when you see 49ers pick them on Thursday afternoon and the market literally moves to Niners minus two, two and a half, three that night, and by kickoff it's five, five and a half, Clearly, we're on to something, but, you know, I always have, you know, that side of the coin or that faction of sports betting. Well, all that matters is your results. Okay, if that's how you feel, let me give you 10 games that move five, five and a half, six points, and tell me how many of those are usually going to win in the NFL. It's just it, with Dak, you know, Dak goes out, Kyler Murray's out, and I get carved up in back-to-back -back weeks by Cooper Rush and Colt McCoy. I would make those same bets again this weekend if the information was passed across my desk. But 
the NFL, man, it's a bear. It's been a bear. It's hard to pick five games a week, let alone some people pick every game on the board. Some people parlay eight, nine teams. The NFL is the hardest market to beat. And it's true. And you get Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott information and still go for two. It sucks. We found out again this weekend how hard the NFL is to win because it was a bloodbath. I know that's the term that was used a few weeks ago by the books, but it was a bloodbath for the players. We got crushed because a lot of dogs came in. I went two and three, I think, in the contest because I had, well, San Francisco, free space, plus one and a half. And then we had the Pittsburgh Steelers minus six. Uh, Matt Nagy is punting the ball away down two scores in the fourth quarter. (laughs) (laughs) And the return man, the return man for the Steelers just muffs it. And, uh, you know, so the Steelers don't cover that leg. I can't remember which other dud we had. We had the Packers, which got lucky. The third leg, oh, the Saints. That was actually a bad pick. But, I mean, who had Buffalo going down? That was no. that was insane. I mean, I saw so many people, not only on Survivors, but straight on, on Buffalo. It, it's just this is a league where every other week, there's always a surprise or two. Um, I know the books are happy because they had a couple rough ones in a row, but when they don't say anything, you know it's a good time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, last night, weird on a lot of fronts with uh, Nagy with the – what do you think he should have done on the final play? You, you go for Throw the freaking, it to the end zone. Right? I mean, that, that, that dude kicked it 55 yards instead of 66. Take the shot. Do you know his career long? 55 yards. Uh. So why are you going to send a kicker out there to attempt a 66-yard field goal in the cold off that Heinz Field surface? Everybody knew he was going to miss, and then I love the broadcast. Like, it's clearly 10 yards short, and Levy goes, it's off the crossbar. Uh. It it landed at the (laughs) five-yard line. Terrible. Um, So good news, bad news. Depending on how you look at the bartender, you're resident mush. So over the weekend, he was on the Raiders, he was on the Bengals. That was destruction. That was an offer. But last night, because of the fast pace in the fourth quarter, he actually got the over 40. If that punt doesn't get muffed by Pittsburgh, I don't think it goes over. Hmm. There were there, you're right. It was a seesaw tilt in that fourth quarter, but it's 23 to 13, and Pittsburgh is punting the ball away to Justin Fields in the offense. But you know, these are the things that make it hard to go under low totals. And you look, you tip your cap to the bartender. I mean, it was a super sharp play. It was the over on Monday Night Football, and it was over 40. (laughs) So you knew it was coming. I I was surprised it wasn't an exotic, like a first quarter, first half under. But honestly, Steve, it's so hard to go under these low totals in the NFL. Uh, There was one a couple weeks ago, actually a month ago, when it was the Patriots and the Texans, and the total closed like 38 and a half. It went way over because there was a pick six. There was uh, a Hail Mary touchdown. It's very hard in the NFL to go under low numbers, especially when the referees get involved. Well, let's get into that. Sam Paniotovich is with us, gambling expert here on Tuesdays on Cofield and Company. Listen, I'm a big protector of Vegas, of sports gambling, because it was our thing. Now it's everyone's thing. But for the longest time, we heard, hey, Vegas can't get the NFL. Integrity, integrity, integrity. The league's got some issues here. Yeah, listen, you partner with multiple sports books. Now I want to know what those books needed last night, and I, I absolutely want to know what the hell is going on with Tony Carrenti, the official. Now these guys can basically flip a game with a call. That call was completely ridiculous. And then the guy's hip-checking a player. We got integrity issues, NFL. We got questions. So what is going on here? Like, is, Do you hear this buzz? Of you know, people are like, wait a second. Your partner with sports books. Your your officials are making these weird subjective calls. You've given them the opportunity to make these subjective calls. 
I thought Will Brinson put it out beautifully on Twitter. Great follow at Will Brinson. He said the NFL announced five new gambling partners prior to this year and then empowered referees to completely flip games based on nothing more than an arbitrary rule that essentially lets them judge intent without even knowing. And I love the best part of that. You called it a hip check. He sort of he stuck his ass out there, like right into the player as he's running off the field. And and as he was running by him, he's already going into the pocket. It was a wild scene. And, and again, it doesn't end up directly affecting the game, I don't think, but it certainly could have. Um, the Bears had several plays go against them in that game. And and I didn't have a side. I didn't pick Pittsburgh or Well, well I know that I, I know this. Some books needed the Steelers. Not I don't know if well, all of them did, but I know some books needed the Steelers. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Monday Night Football, most books are going to need the favorite in the over. Most nights. That's not a blanket statement, but on most nights, especially when that line go- went from, you know, five and a half, six to six and a half, seven, there was probably some sharp money late on the Bears took plus seven because they're always going to take a plus seven. They're going to take a big, fat, juicy number like seven. But I would imagine I talked to a couple books that needed the Steelers to win, but not to cover. Or mm. no, they needed... The, yeah, the Steelers to win, but not to cover. So they got the perfect result. The Steelers winning by what? A field goal or so. All right. Sam Paniotovich with us. All right. Before we get to week 10 in the NFL, uh, I want you to judge this one. Um, I'll call it my lack of discipline from a betting standpoint. Um, my best bet over at the Westgate on Sunday morning, Browns over the Bengals, right? So I got it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm there. and the, I don't know. It was like early, maybe middle of the second quarter. Browns are pulling away. I'm in good shape. It's about a 17 or 18 point game. At that point, I'm like, you know, I want a middle here. So I took oh. the Bengals plus 12 and a half, and of course they didn't cover. I don't get the middle. Am I a bad better? Is there a certain point where, hey, you just take the win, or is this kind of like blackjack where, hey, you have you have premium spots where you can double down? I was doubling down. Okay, so you did double down. That was going to be my question. I can't answer the question directly without knowing. So let's just say, just for intensive purposes of this conversation, let's say it was a $100 bet right. on the Browns. Right. Did you then bet 100 on the Bengals? Okay, so you washed. You actually you juiced out. You right. lost a little bit. You lost ten percent. Right. What what I've been told, and and I'm not a middler, so I'm not trying to talk down on you because I, I appreciate a good uh, shake. I appreciate when you make the bookie shake. I love that. What I've been told by guys that do this for a living is that they will, if they're in a great position like you were, they will only hedge or middle about thirty three percent of the initial bet. Oh wow. Now, that takes discipline because in the moment, you already have a winner and you're going for you know a double dip. <laughs> so I guess if this were to play back out, the advice would be to take that initial position that you made, whether it be 100 or 50 or 25 or whatever, if you have that on the Cleveland side and you're up big, you want to come out of that game a winner no matter what. So 33% is a number that I hear frequently, but that doesn't mean that it can't be 30 or 40 or 50. You just don't see a lot of wise guys go for a throat with a double down. They, they won't, if they're up 100, they won't bet 100. They'll go 33 or 40 or 50, but they want to guarantee that they make a profit. So on the games this weekend, I'm getting sucked in looking at Jacksonville plus 10.5 against Indy. Jax is a bad team. Their defense looked awesome. Maybe it was the Bills' offensive line just was not fired up for the game. So what do I do on the spot? Do I back off a little bit and don't uh, overreach on a bad Jacksonville team? Well, I think this reminds me of a game we saw a couple weeks ago when uh, the Houston Texans played really well against New England and probably should have won that game outright. Next week, they go to Indianapolis and get throttled. 
My only concern for going back to a team like Jacksonville is that they don't play many A games all season. You know, <laughs> if they play 17 games, how many A games do they have? Three, maybe four. Like you're not going to get their best game every single game. And if anything, they're due to regress toward a C minus a D plus game. And if that's the case, they could easily lose this game by two touchdowns. I don't love the number. Um, there are some tens around in Vegas. If you like Indianapolis, go lay the 10 now because that's going to keep climbing. If you like Jacksonville, you could probably wait it out. We see a couple 10 and a halfs, and I see an 11 offshore. So this thing's probably going to keep climbing. If you like the dog, wait it out. Sam Panionovich up with Cofield and Company as we're getting ready for the Kevin Kruger Show, the debut of the Kevin Kruger Radio Show here in about uh, less than 15 minutes. All right, other games on the board. Uh, I talked to you early this morning, uh, sent over some numbers. You know, We're talking about what games we're going to talk about. Patriots and Cleveland, it's already gone up a little bit. Pats, minus one and a half. I feel like all year long, Cleveland's been really strongly power rated. So what do you think of this number? Well, remember, this opened up New England three on Sunday. So this thing has come the other way, and I see a couple books offshore at one right now. I think it's a combination of two things. Number one, you're totally right. The power ratings really love the Cleveland Browns, and I think they like to play them as dogs. I mean, anytime they're getting points, the Sharpies come in and take Cleveland. The other side of that is that New England is one in four this year straight up at home. They have one win against your New York Jets. <laughs> it's the only team they've beaten at home. And I think what Belichick hung 53 or 54 on them. So they haven't been good. And and with this situation here, there's no margin for error. You know, there were a couple good spots this year at home in Foxborough. Pats are getting seven against the Bucks, getting four and a half, four against the Cowboys. There's no wiggle room here. You got to win this game and you got to win by more than one, one and a half. I think this is a perfect spot for a teaser, though take Cleveland up through three, six, seven. You go from one and a half to seven and a half. This will be a field goal game either way. I have no idea who's going to win, but it's a great teaser leg on the Browns. I'll give you another uh, power rating battle, which means it's really a, a, what the Sharps think of this. Um, Saints are only getting three against the Tennessee team. Tennessee's at home and the Titans are hot as a pistol. Yeah, power ratings don't like Tennessee. I'll give you credit again. I mean, you nailed it. And they didn't like him. <laughs> they didn't like him on on Sunday night when uh, Derrick Henry got ruled out. That game goes from four, four and a half to seven, and Tennessee smoked them. Um, that's a tough offense to stop, man. I mean, they've got weapons. They've got great offensive linemen. Um, you know, Derrick Henry's worth a couple points, but still, running backs are proving every single week that they're less and less valuable the longer we go in this season. I mean, you know, you see teams all the time. They're down a running back. Well, they still win because of the offensive line, because of the quarterback, because of the schematics. Um, and for Abel's D, they played pretty well, even though people keep telling you, well, the uh, Titans are overrated, defense sucks. Well, they're in first place in the AFC right now. So I don't know. And I watched Trevor Simeon. I told you I had them in the contest. I had to lay six with that mess, and they never were covering in that game. So it's a weird number, especially seeing Tennessee only minus three at home. Something's up there. Something's up. Is this a weird number? Green Bay right now three and a half against Seattle. Rodgers could come back as early as Saturday. I mean, what's what's built into the number here? 
Russell Wilson coming back. Russell Wilson catching points is very enticing for the sharp guys. That has been for a long, long time. I'm sure you've seen the uh, very skillfully put together and edited hype video that Wilson's camp put out. He's at the doctor's office, like looking at the hand and all that. So he's playing. So that explained, you know, the move off the five down to four and a half, four. But here's the other thing that I've been told. A couple bookmakers are bracing for the potential of Rodgers not being clear to play. Mm. Uh, because he's not vaccinated, he has to go through extra protocols heading into the weekend. It's not like a situation where a guy's vaccinated, he misses a game, he can come back. I've been told it's not crystal clear that Aaron Rodgers can come back. So I, I don't know that for certain. I am far from a COVID-19 expert. I saved that for Adam Hill. But uh, this situation here, the, the move off of the five down to three and a half is mostly predicated on Wilson playing and a small chance that Aaron Rodgers might not be able to go. Last NFL spot, what do we do with the Raiders? They're getting points. They're, they're having a good season. The Chiefs still don't look like they've solved a lot of their problems, and the Raiders are getting two and a half. This line makes no sense. It, it makes me really nervous. I'm going to go square here. I'm going to lay the two and a half. I see a couple threes here. You know we're going to trend toward three when we get closer to the weekend. I think KC's defense has really figured it out last couple of weeks. I mean, they were very, very good in the last two games. And I think with Vegas, you know, you look back to the game last year when they went up and down the field with Kansas City and, and won that game was like 41-33 or something like that. And the scores all run together. But I know they got into the 40s. That was a fully stacked, fully staffed roster with, with the Raiders. They're nowhere near that right now. I mean, obviously, we know some of the situations. Um, you don't have John Gruden calling plays anymore. You don't have rugs in the fold down the field. Um, I just I don't know how much longer that team can keep it together. And I this number is is hanging hanging short of three. And I just it doesn't make sense because you're telling me that Kansas City was, you know, laying X against the Giants, and then, you know, the Raiders were only minus three against the Giants. Like, the power ratings don't make sense here. I, I'm not taking points. I am not going against Mahomes on Sunday night. He's not losing this game in primetime, I don't think. So I think laying two and a half right now, it's okay. Find Sam up on Twitter at SP Shoot and also Chicken X Dinner. Last one, we got to close on this. Um, we'll get to college basketball uh, next week. We can talk about some of the teams we're bullish on. But I, I got to discuss the latest in the gambling world. New York is about to go live with sports gambling. I got to get your take on this situation. This is fascinating. New York's tax rate on sports gambling is going to be through the roof. They're going to try to steal their business back from New Jersey. I wonder how the books are going to handle this. I wonder how the players are going to handle it because the tax is so high. Are we going to have 40-cent lines in New York and then go across the bridge and there's 20-cent lines in Jersey? Well, I don't know that it's going to affect the players that much because you don't have you know a dictatorship. You don't just have one book like, uh, like in Montana or in D.C. where it's one operator and they run everything. I, I don't know that we're going to see minus 140 on each side or total. I think it's going to be maybe 120 maybe 117. Um, they have to make their money somewhere and it's not going to affect the players. Like the players aren't getting taxed, you know, 51%. It's the sports books that are going to be taxed 51%. So every dollar they make, they got to give 51% back to the government. Yep. That's insanity. I would imagine you're not going to have a lot of boosts. You're not going to have a lot of promotions. They're not going to be giving money away like they do in other States, but I can't imagine that New York is going to operate. They have nine operators. They can't possibly be dealing 130, 135, 140 lines. I guess it's just about being in New York 
and understanding that in some weird way, 51% of something is better than 0% of nothing, I, I guess. But I, that's weird, man. And here's the other thing that nobody's talking about. If this does get regulated and operated at 51%, other states around the country are going to come back and go, hey, we want more. We're only taking 8%. We're only taking 10%. We're only taking 12%. If New York can pull this off 51%, there could be a domino rally across the country. Sam, you're the man. We appreciate it. Thank you. See you. There he is, Sam Peniatovich, gambling insider from Nesson. We are short on time in just a couple of minutes. The debut of the Kevin Kruger radio show right here on ESPN Las Vegas. So stick around. Thanks to our fine work from Willie Ramirez as well. UNLV running Rebel Talk on the way.